Greetings! You've reached Sports Stories with Denny Lennon, operating in the shadow of LAX. Leave a message and someone will call you back. Uh, yeah, hi Denny. Uh, this is Tom Brokaw from NBC Nightly News. I uh, just calling to say I've been enjoying your podcast and your video podcast, especially your interview with Jerry West and the volleyball player whose name is particularly hard to pronounce, Coach. Karali, Karch Karali, it's like saying, oh, you know, Willinghammer week after week during the Winter Olympics for NBC. Uh, Anyway, I'm enjoying your show, and uh, I consider you child of the greatest generation. Just what does it take for a sporting event to ascend to the level of a miracle? Is it similar to the criteria that makes a person a saint, or perhaps the bar is at some different level? I've always felt that the Olympics provide a mystical and dramatic stage that sets the scene for sports miracles to happen. Forty years ago, the underdog United States ice hockey team beat the heavily favored Soviet Union team on the way to winning the gold medal at the 1980 Lake Placid Winter Olympics. Let's recall the facts from 40 years ago. The United States in 1979 and into 1980 was experiencing long gas lines due to an oil crisis, which was triggered by the Iranian Revolution, which in turn led to the detaining of 50 American hostages for over a year in Iran. Then, of course, there was the decades-long Cold War with the Soviet Union, which was constantly heating up. Despair seems to be a word to describe the state of affairs in the USA in 1980. Lake Placid is in the state of New York, but it's much closer to Montreal than it is to New York City. Montreal, of course, is a home to the mighty hockey team known as the Canadians, winners of 24 Stanley Cups, the oldest existing trophy handed out in North America. Maybe proximity to greatness in history is a factor to the making of a miracle? Inspiration can lead to hope, and hope is most certainly a strong force in the making of a miracle. The United States hockey team was made up of amateurs, primarily from colleges like the University of Minnesota and Boston University, with no experience in international play, while the USSR team consisted of professional players with tons of international experience. In fact, the Russians were the four-time defending Olympic gold medal champions. The Soviet team had routinely defeated American professional teams and had just beat Team USA 10-3 in an exhibition only 12 days before they faced one another in the Olympic medal round. Unlikely is not quite the word I would use to describe Team USA's chances of winning. Impossible seems to be a much better fit. And what were the chances that there would be someone, a journalist or a broadcaster, who could put it all together perfectly, someone that could describe in a single phrase what we all could hardly believe was actually happening? Just 10 years earlier, Al Michaels was kicking around in Honolulu, calling bowling tournaments and play-by-play games for the Hawaii Islanders, and even acting. That's right, acting. Did you know that Al Michaels once appeared as a lawyer opposite Jack Lord and Neffy Hanneman in the iconic TV series Hawaii Five-0. But on February 22nd of 1980, Michaels was working for ABC, the network of the Olympic Games. He was assigned to the Lake Placid Olympic Center Arena for the ice hockey competition. And so it was 
that this future Hall of Fame broadcaster was there at this place and this time where, given the chance, the youngest team in U.S. hockey national team history would turn despair to hope, overcome the impossible, and make a miracle happen. Al Michaels, with the clock ticking down, asked and answered the question for all of us as the gutty Americans were about to beat the mighty Soviet Union. I'm a Venice, California-born, Los Angeles-based sports fan, one that has played, coached, announced, and promoted sports my whole life. My love affair with sports started in my own backyard and has led me to this podcast. Thanks to the support of the Amateur Athletic Union in East Bay, I'm excited to bring you Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. Hello, sports historians, and welcome to video, audio, podcast number 72 of Sports Stories with Denny Lennon. It's our three-part Olympic Miracle Special. This February 22 is the 40th anniversary of the Miracle on Ice, and that is the inspiration for this series. Producing is the miracle of life that is and goes by the name of Marley Rice. <laughs> yeah, guys, so I'm so excited to share that we have a three-part Olympic special for you. As I was diving into all these episodes, I didn't realize how many amazing Olympics or Olympians or people involved in the Olympics we had on our show. We have. Um, so we've compiled 90 minutes that we were going to split into three parts. Perfect. And it's also the one-year anniversary of our Randy New Year almost. So mm-hmm. it's just it's good that we have both of these two people on, on our show today. Yeah, the other, Randy will uh, close out this show, um, but the other is Wayne Coffey, the author of The Boys of Winter, a 2005 book that covered uh, this Miracle on Ice team. So it should be a great interview from him. It is. I remember. I was there. It was a great interview. So enjoy this part with Wayne Coffey. Wayne Coffey was on the show Friday night for a, a short stint, but we get to dive in a little bit deeper. Recently released his um, his book because it was recently released because 40 years since the boys of winter, that miracle team captured the gold medal. Uh, 1980 at Lake Placid. Uh, many of us know the story. It's been called the greatest uh, sports moment of the century. And this book is fantastic. It dives into each of the players, their backgrounds, including the coaches and the whole scene. And even I, when, when I was talking about it, we talk about the miracle team. Do you think that's a good tag for that team? And is it okay? Like, you know, you wrote the boys of winter, but people will still say, oh, it's about the miracle team. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Obviously there was a, in a very well-regarded Disney movie called miracle. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, but the players themselves sort of don't, I don't know, they, they not, don't necessarily embrace that term. I, I mean, I think in, in, a, in a sense, some of them feel like it, it, um, Hmm. it it diminishes what they achieved but you know we can it's sort of a semantic point when you you look at the the history of the soviet hockey team against the americans the 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 collective record uh in favor of the soviets was 27 1 and 1 in in yeah. world world championship and olympic play the goal differential was 175 to 44 i mean this was not not a fair fight. This was, in the minds of many people, the greatest collection of hockey talent in the history of the sport. 
that that same Soviet team, Denny, a year earlier, 1979, played the NHL All-Stars, the NHL All-Stars, and beat them 6-0. Jeez. And here's so and here's a collection of college kids, the youngest American Olympic team ever. And and they yeah. really they had they had no shot. We, we except know. except, you know what? <laughs> they just that one in a hundred shot and, and they pulled it off. It was their moment. Um, you know, there's so much that backdrop that we we you know, many of us know 40 years ago, the height of the Cold War. Uh, America not feeling great about itself for, for several reasons and stuff. But at that age, I think I was like 14 or something. What really stuck in my craw was the 72 Olympic basketball game where the Soviets got three shots in order yep. to overcome that after Doug Collins probably hit the most two pressured free throws in the history of basketball um, to put U U.S. up. And then it just seemed like the fix was in. They yep. gave them, they kept letting them try until they got that. And that still stuck with me. Uh, until that 80 game and yeah there's all of those I mean, there, there's all of that that just played into it i thought that was so significant something um i don't think everybody realizes this uh wayne is that um the the americans had they lost that subsequent game to finland might not have even meddled that's because true. that was exactly like a right. medal round right it was the two different pools and so the top two go in and the, and the americans were two out of what the blue division or something and um and so even though they beat number one out of the red division, had they lost to Finland, Finland would have won the gold? Yep. Is that, is that how that would have worked? If, um, you know, it depends how the point shook out. I think it would it would have been Finland. But if they had lost, there was a chance they could have gone home with no medals. So, you know, because it was such an iconic moment that, that Friday night, February 22nd, 1980, when the U.S. beat the Soviets, people automatically assumed that won the gold medal. It did, it did nothing of the sort. And, um, you know, that was still, you know, like the NCAA semifinal. They still had a game to play. And, you know, one of the things that I that I loved, I mean, Herb Brooks was not only just a, a, a towering hockey genius and um, an innovator and a man who I don't think any other coach in history could have pulled off what he did. But he was also uh, just a spectacular motivator and, and, and knew exactly what note to play and when to play it. So in, before the, the Soviet game on Friday night, you know, the guys are sitting. And as I mentioned the other night, Denny, the, the beauty of Herb Brooks Arena, which is, it, it's now named for Herb, appropriately so, on a little hilltop in Lake Placid, it looks very much the same as it did in 1980. It's got the same black grid on the ceiling. It's got the same red seats. You walk in there and you just feel this moment. You feel the history of it. And the locker rooms, locker room five, where the U.S. team was, still looks the same. Wow. And Brooks is talking to his team in this little unadorned high school type locker room. And, and he tells the team, you, you were born to be a player. You were meant to be here. This moment is yours. And... You know, and I remember talking to, to Ken Morrow, who turned and like said to someone else, like Neil Broughton, the youngest guy in the team. And he said, what's he talking about? Neil Broughton <laughs> said, I have no idea. But they, <laughs> but you know what? They, they charged out of that locker room behind Jim Craig and they were like fired up beyond belief. And, and their marching orders that night were to just win, win every 35 second shift at a time. But so 
So that was his his uh, motivational message Friday night. Yeah. And and then Sunday before they play Finland. Uh-huh. Now now what does Herb Brooks say? I mean, how do how do you rally them again? And Herb Brooks goes in there. The guys are seated all around him in the same locker room five, and he said. If you lose this game, you're going to take it to your bleeping grave. <laughs> and you know what? That was perfect. The backup goalie, Steve Janizak, told me, like, in that moment, he, he envisioned himself like a 45-year-old guy sitting at a bar in Minnesota, like, pounding his fist, saying, we could have won a gold medal. We could have won a gold And you know what? That's exactly the message that he wanted. The, uh, convey, so. I, I love that. I, I love that in the documentary too, where each of the guys repeat it's two, you're great. You know, it's like every one of them goes, yep, they remember that line. Did you think, um, I, I talked uh, on Friday with you a little bit about the end of the first period, you know, when Mark Johnson got that goal right with one second left or whatever. But, you know, that it was such a big game that, that Jim Craig had in goal. But do you think they were panicking when they pulled Trechiak, the, the um, Russian goalie, out of there? And, I mean, he was like world. He was he, he. Everybody in the world was in awe of him, and so I mean, was it some kind of punishment game? Was it just trying to mix it up? What was that all about? No, it was it was complete and utter coaching meltdown. And so, Vladislav Tretiak, for those who may not remember, he was the Soviet goalie, widely regarded as as maybe the greatest goalie ever. And, and a guy who was just, he's a very big presence in the net. And he, uh, and the guy was just, he was just royalty. He just, you know, almost impossible to beat. And he, but he lets, lets in this goal at 1959 when he skated out of his net and stood up a little bit and just, you know, and committed Cardinal Sin 101. You know, he relaxed. He didn't, and everyone on the ice did except Mark Johnson, the coach's kid who went right to the, right to the horn got a rebound, stick-handled around Tretiak, put it in at 19.59. That tied the game at 2-2. The place went nuts. It gave the U.S. team hope. And then it it created this panic. And Viktor Tikhanov, the Soviet coach, who's the most decorated coach in the history of international hockey, who's won more world championships and gold medals than anyone, and he yanks Tretiak because he was so furious at him. And one of the best interviews uh, that I had and most memorable parts of doing that book is I figured, you know, there's an old saying in sports writing, Denny, that the loser, lo- losing locker rooms are better than winning locker rooms because you get, you know, you get heartache, you get angst, you get raw emotion, you get. And so I went to Moscow and I talked to Viktor Tikhanov sure. and I found someone to um, translate for me. And Victor, what was interesting, he was still coaching. At the time, he was in his early 70s. I caught him at a uh, at a rink, appropriately enough, and the guy looked exactly the same <laughs> as he did in 1980. And I'm saying, it's it's the year 2000. How has this guy not changed? So, right. you know, as sort of a conversation breaker, um, I you know I said through the interpreter, uh, you know, Victor, you you know. Thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time. I have to tell you, you look, you look great. You haven't changed at all. And he smiled and he said, he said, well, thank you. Uh, he said, women in Russia have a saying, if you want to preserve things, 
for a long time, you put them in the freezer. <laughs> I, I've spent my life in the freezer. <laughs> right. So who can argue? But Tikhanov told me that pulling Tretiak was the greatest single mistake of his coaching career. Now, and he, he did it, Wayne, though. Well, here's what was interesting, because I didn't kind of notice this until today when I was rewatching that. It happened. Okay, so Mark Johnson scored. There was a confusion whether or not it was a goal. And and the Russians had gone back to the locker room, but then there's got a one second, so they got to drop the puck again. Yep. And he sends out the backup. Right. And he doesn't even send out his whole line. No, there were like two guys, two guys on the ice. Yeah. And, and he had Mishkin, Mishkin, the backup, was in the goal. That that was a that was a little. Sh I, I don't know. That's that just looked a little disorganized or submissive. Oh, yeah, not but, submissive he, but like um, disrespectful. Well, he, he was, again, he was so furious that he was making the change. This was wow. it. This was Michigan's game now. And and the American guy, and again, as I write in the book, this this is like pinch hitting for Babe Ruth in the World Series. Yeah. And, and Aruzioni and a couple of the other guys, when they saw what was going on, they said they said to Brooks, wait, Tretiak's gone. He's not in the net. And uh, so, and that fired them up even more. Like, they, you know, that that TKO'd the great Vladislav Tretiak. There's, um, there's, you know, so much more, uh, obviously, in the book. And we got somebody else, uh, our journalist at large, who's going to have a few questions for you in a second here, Wayne. So thanks for sticking around. But um, I just have to say, watching Eruzioni's goal, that was the winning goal, and his dance up the sidelines is probably my favorite sporting moment uh, <laughs> celebration. Like, that is so much fun. Yeah, it's uh, it doesn't get any better. I mean, Mike Mike has uh, has made a, a lifetime, a career out of fundraising and being a motivational speaker on the strength of that goal, and he's great at it. Uh, I'm not sure he'll ever make it as a dancer, but who cared? I mean, you'll never see a snapshot of a happier athlete in your whole life. All right, that was great with Wayne. He's a terrific author, uh, multiple books. Yeah. Uh, so look him up and read them up. You know, so it's Al Michaels who made that famous call that tagged it as Miracle on Ice. And there's another Hall of Fame broadcaster yes, who made another crazy, iconic Olympic call. The drought is over. And that's our own Hall of Famer, Randy Rosenblum. Randy, one of our favorite guests on the show. It's been a year since we had our Randy New Year. So mm -hmm. we thought it'd be special to bring him back and give you a little snippet of his interview with Denny. Uh, so enjoy with Randy Rosenblum. The drought is over. You've said that the highlight of your career is calling the Olympic Games. Not even close. Not even close? Not well, even, I can you, give you some great memories. Well, you're going to say AAU Beach Volleyball was better? <laughs> well, it's up there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in all candor, I mean, the softball World Series a number of years ago, 92, Lisa Fernandez pitches a oh, shutout. Wow. I call a walk-off homer by UCLA to win the national title. No doubt. That's up okay. there. Uh, U.S. winning the gold medal in rowing in 2004. Now, when they won that gold medal in rowing, yeah. That's where you made your the drought is over. Yeah, for the and men. that and that is kind of like do you believe in miracles? But in the rowing world, right? Is that is that is that accurate to say? Yeah, and I had it teed up in my mind. I I, I never thought I'd really use it because I didn't know if the United States would win a gold. But the the women, the the sequence on NBC was interesting. They play the women first. Okay. So the women wins the silver. Commercial break. Come back. Now, they threw the commercial break in later. I didn't sure. have that. And now we're down to one race in the heavyweight eights. We've been destroyed in every of the, you know, the other events in rowing. 
Okay. Americans didn't compete. The only ones they competed well in in Athens were the heavyweight eights, the eight-man boat. This is Athens, 2004. Athens, 2004. I know we're all over the board no, this is good. This we're is good. all over the board. So, like I said, the women finish second. They get the silver. It's one shoot I'm looking at. They come out of the shoot. This is it. All or nothing. It's 2,000 meters. They're at the halfway meter, 1,000 meters. They have a big lead, and I'm thinking, this is it. Now it starts coming to me. Uh-huh. We get to a point where I know the Americans are going to hold off the, comp- the competition. I'm turning to Yaz Farouk, my analyst. I wanted her to take the big moment. I wanted to give it to her. And she didn't say anything. And she was a brilliant analyst. Okay. Yaz did a number of Olympics. But she's letting you do yours. She just didn't take it. And I turn, they cross the finish line, and I go, the drought is over. <laughs> It was 40 years. They hadn't won that event in 40 wow. years. Wow. Okay. Well, that's what pops up, you know. But I had it teed up in a perfect that, that's situation. That's what pops up. You, yeah, yeah. For, I'm, I'm sure in that, not just in, you know, the Olympic watchers, but especially in that community. Right. That's their call. That's the call. And that, is that a fun part of the job for you? Yeah. I, I, lo- I love drama. Uh, you know, uh, as a broadcaster, even on a podcast show like this, I can get lazy with my mouth. I get bored. I don't like necessarily doing interviews. Mm-hmm. I even get bored and sometimes go out in left field on, on broadcast. But when there's drama, when there's big moments, I can You'll play. W- I can play with the best of you. Them. Will lock in. I will lock so in. So your first Olympic Games, '84. Public address in '84. What'd you do? Uh, basketball. I was a one public address three, announcer. One of three guys rotating at the forum. Are you familiar with the three C's of public address announcing? I'm not. I'm not. Got to be clear, concise. Eh. Incorrect. Uh, one out of three isn't bad. I you was know, somewhat clear. My oh. uncle, Jimmy Lennon, took me sure. aside after announcing some women's pro beach volleyball. And he uh, had taken notes throughout the course of the day. I could have used and, his help. And he told me everything I said wrong that day. And I was excited just that my uncle, the great boxing announcer, was there. Sure. And he started telling me everything I mispronounced. <laughs> and he finished by saying, and, and boy, whatever you do, don't embarrass the family. <laughs> That's yeah. great. So that 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 improved me quickly, Randy. The other two, <laughs> Denny. The other two. So public, what was your public address job at at eighty four? Twenty men's basketball games. Michael Jordan and company. Come on. Yeah. So is that right? Oh yeah. So the so other you were the two one who announced them coming out on the court. Oh yeah. Wow. Patrick Ewan, Michael Jordan. Come on. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. So the other ones who did it, the other two public address announcers. Yeah. Uh, the late Don Sawyer, who did the Bruin games for many, many years. Okay. Don was I was friends with Don. And that's where I became friends a little bit with John Ramsey, who, to my mind, is the greatest public address announcer in L.A. history. Okay. Did the Dodgers, Lakers. He did everybody. Sure. He was just the voice of Los Angeles. What a sweetheart. And, again, I knew Don from my days at UCLA and all that stuff. I did not know John. And uh, John Ramsey was a phenomenal guy. Unfortunately, we've lost him. But uh, yeah. that was great. And he, it was supposed to be a volunteer position. Yep. John said, no, I'll do it for inexpensive, but I won't do it for free. And because of John, we all got paid a little bit. So okay. John Ramsey was a phenomenal guy. So, so that was 84. You know, um, one of my heroes growing up and watching high school basketball was Leon Wood. Played I got Leon Monica. Wood stories, too. And, and Leon Wood was on that 84 uh-huh. team. As a matter of fact, he set some kind of Olympic assist record mm-hmm. when he set the state scoring record as a high school player for St. Monica. And I um, and now he's uh, he's been sure. a long-time pro, sure. 
you know, referee, and I would love to get Leon. So I'm, I'm just yelling a little shout out. Hopefully, Leon recognizes the last name and listens in, and it'll, it'll, it'll get a hold of me because he's a good guy. I used to know him. Uh, he owes me twenty dollars. <laughs> his son is an assistant coach, or was last year at Santa Margarita Catholic. Okay. And so I told his son he owes me twenty dollars on a game we bet. I think it was Pepperdine Loyola a thousand years ago, <laughs> and. He told his dad, and he goes, I'll I don't collect. remember anything. I'm not giving him $20. I don't know. I'm going to collect. I'll collect for you. See if you right can get here. the 20 bucks. I don't podcast. really care about that. But. So, so, so you're a PA, and then, then what was your next Olympics? Which uh, 92, Barcelona. I did the Olympic triple cast. I did the volleyball indoor. I worked with the late Kirk Kilgore. We built a tremendous relationship. Um, Kirk was a great guy. Uh, we became very close. Uh, he lived close to me. He lived in Van Nuys, yeah. and I lived in North Hollywood, so I would go over to his house. He was a quadriplegic, as a lot of people may or may not know. He hurt himself in playing volleyball overseas in oh, Europe overseas, and Italy. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the Kilgore Cup, I think, is yeah, still given out. UCLA yeah. USC game or something. Yeah, or yeah. yeah. They, they, yeah. they would bring four teams in there and yeah. they would exchange. Oh, that's right. Uh, at the Kilgore Cup, and Kirk and I were close friends, and mm. I emerged as a volleyball announcer greatly because of him and Marv Dumphy. Okay, uh, Marv's the Longtime coach, now retired at Pepperdine, sure. and Marv taught me a lot. Marv was instrumental. We're still close friends, and, and Kirk was just great. I would go to his house, and we would just go over every little detail. I was fortunate to have him just a couple miles away where his house was to my house. And so that's how you could learn that sport and anticipate yeah. when you're calling the play-by-play. -play. Yeah. That's brilliant. And then what was the third Olympics? Uh, we had Athens and in between Atlanta where I did the beach. Okay. Did the greatest uh, beach volleyball match in the history of the sport, and I'm proud of that. Karch and uh, Kent Steffes yep. and uh, Hinkle and Sinjin Smith. Sinjin Smith. Uh, I don't think people realize that I caught him at the tail end of his career, right. Sinjin Smith. But off of what I saw, I was astounded, astounded how good, and I know you love volleyball, Denny. Sure. How good defensively he was, and that's, he was an older guy already. That's the thing. His, his ability to anticipate and see the play. Yeah. Was was unmatched because you know he was a very good athlete all the way around. That wasn't; it was just his ability to anticipate, and he just you know had had those amount of repetitions. As did Karch, you know, just for so long. But Karch spent a lot of time playing indoor, right. and Sinjin played primarily beach, you know, minus the UCLA run. Now you've seen more volleyball than I have. I know that's your sport, and you've been involved with it for many many years, and more of the beach than I have. Even though I got involved with it, I cannot imagine anyone in the history of the sport being better than him controlling the ball the way Sinjin Smith did. His ball control it was. was unbelievable. It was astounding. So so was Karch. Karch right. laid in there. As a matter of fact, um, I had was looking at the newspaper and um, I saw this picture of Karch and he, at 42 years old, had won the Hermosa Open or something. And I thought, that's really lazy of them because they had the same exact picture last year in the times <laughs> when he won. And I actually had taken wow. and cut out that picture and I went and they were different pictures. But what it showed me was how consistent Karch was in his approach to the game. That he was, didn't matter how old he was, he was still getting that low, had that platform, had that technique. And I was like, wow, that's why he's him. And, you know, same with Singe. You could just yeah. you could look at Singe over the years and you're not going to see, you know, that technique is always going to be nails. It was a one-set match. It was pool play. It wasn't right. a medal match. Uh, four match points for Henkel and Smith. Uh, Steffes and Karch fought back and won it. And, and there was a real rivalry between those two going there on was. at the time. And... Karch afterward basically apologized to Hankel 
and to Smith saying, you guys really deserve to be here. You guys were great. It is still to this day considered the greatest beach volleyball match. Of it, was, all time. it was time and place, too, right? right. Because Atlanta. beach volleyball had, um, had become unofficial. This is the first sport. time. Yeah, it had been a medal sport because I think it was demonstration in Barcelona, maybe, or. This was it. it yeah, yeah, it was the was first the medal. It was and then, um, and, and, you know, And then you had your two huge stars because Karch was known indoor as the greatest ever. Right. And then it certainly made his mark in beach. Sure. And then Sinjin, of course, had this long run of being in popular culture along with being the beach. And, you know, you know, there's this great time in, in beach volleyball when you had AVP on the weekends. And then there was another two nights, WPVA and the Bud Light Tour. Sure. And beach volleyball was really in the public consciousness. And anyways, I was, I was up, really that was fortunate. a really big moment. I was really fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. I, I kind of wanted in my heart because I was friendly at the time with Smith and Hinkle. I, I, yeah. I'd watched them practice. It's not that – Karch is a great guy. Uh, um, I, I don't know Stephas a, a little – I just met him a few times at the Olympics. But, you know, I was kind of rooting for the underdog. And they had four opportunities they to did. close them out. Couldn't get it done. Give uh, Stephas and, and Karch all the credit in the world for pulling it out. But, again, and they went on to win the gold. They went on to win the gold. And uh, give them all the credit in the world. Well, anybody that watches our live shows knows that uh, Alexandria is the uh, true star. Yes, she is. She comes on at the end. This 10-year-old then grills our uh, authors with questions. So I think uh, we got Alexandria um, asking Wayne a few questions. Yep. So here it is, Alexandria, my favorite SSDL, I'd say employee, but she's not really an employee. Correspondent. Correspondent. Uh, so here we are. We're going to leave you with Alexandria. Hope you enjoyed this part one of our Olympic special. Uh, join us next week for part two. All right, so we're gonna um, we're gonna take the uh, cameras inside at um, Casablanca Restaurant in Venice, where our journalist, critic, book critic at large. Yeah, there she is. Hi, uh -oh. Alexandra. She's got her up. Oh, hold, on. hold on, Christine's gonna put your microphone up. Got it. Okay, go ahead. Good evening. Hi. Um, thanks for being here. Um, it's you're the sports stories with Denny Lennon, book critic at large. That's what your title is. Do you like that title? Yeah, it's all right. Okay. If you think sure. of something better, you usually do. You let me know. Um, and say hello to our uh, guest today, Wayne Coffee. Good evening. Good evening, Mr. Wayne Coffee. Alexandria Harrow. Yeah. And I, I have to ask you, what's your favorite restaurant? You better answer this right. Uh, probably. Either Casablanca ah, or Lari's. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Is that apple up there? Because you're going to like, uh, is that like an apple polishing technique to curry favor with your guest? Probably. My mom just said, put an apple in there or add some spice on it. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Good luck, Wayne. Uh, take it away, Alexandria. Okay, Denny. I'll do my best. Good, Good evening. evening, Mr. Wayne Coffee. Um, my name is Alexandria Haro. Um, and before I start, I would just like to say your book was fantastic. Oh Thank to you read, so much. Thank way. you for reading it. I love people who read books. All those fans out there should read his book. It is really good. Do you accept, uh, accept cash payments, Alexandria? All right. We, you know, we may have to talk Maybe. after the show because you're being so nice and. Uh, 
supporting my writing career. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm kidding, but I really, I appreciate your kind words. Thank you. Now you wrote a book, The Boys of Winter. And it's basically about Coltrup encouraging a team to be more like a team and um, and basically doing more than they think they can, if I am correct. Um, now I have a few questions Please. for you, actually, now. And if you don't feel comfortable answering the questions, just, just blink twice, twice like this. So I can, so I can move Okay, right do I need to have my lawyer question. nearby or are we okay? Okay. No, we're okay. Um, my first question is, you never got to interview Coach Herb regarding your book. What, what one question would you ask Well, that is a great, great question. Actually, I was going to, I've interviewed Herb Brooks uh, a number of times, but not for this book. And I was, and this is actually very sad, Alexander. It's terribly sad. The day I was scheduled to interview him, it was August 3rd, I want to say 2003, was the day he died in a car accident. I was supposed to interview him that night, and he died that afternoon in a car. And uh, it, it's chilling to even think about that. But I think, I think what I what I would ask, what I would ask Herb is, you know, every everybody in the world thought that your team had no chance in this game, and. Just 10 days before that game in Lake Placid, that famous game, the same teams met in Madison Square Garden and the Russians destroyed the Americans 10 to three. So what I, what I ask Herb is, in your heart of hearts, what did you really think was going to happen that night in Lake Placid? Did you think that your guys legitimately had a chance? Mm, that's a really Thank good you. question to ask him. Uh, my second question is, what is your favorite word? I'd like to know because it took me a long time to read your book because I had to use the dictionary to look up the words. So my my favorite word, um, you know, I'm not even sure what my favorite, I have a lot of favorite words. I love words. In fact, there's something I get in my my inbox and my email every day. Merriam-Webster has like, they'll send you a word of the day and it just pops up every day. And I, and I love it. I just, I love language. I love learning new words. And one that comes to me right now is um, a word called epiphany. Epiphany. You know what epiphany means? So epiphany is, is like, uh, well, I want to say a revelation, like a surprising, like a, a shocking, surprising. Well, like if you went out, you, you walked out from where you are right now and walked in the street and you saw the most amazing rainbow or something like you'd never seen before or, you know, a, a school of 100 dolphins in the, uh, the Pacific Ocean. It, it, would, it, would be, it would be an epiphany. Mm. I'm going to tell all my friends that because we're doing online learning and 
I like to share them every word I knew because I want them to be um, well, as smart as they can be. You know, I think you might you, you might score some points with epiphany, but it's it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a really good word. You don't want to roll it out every day, but um, but it's good to have in your back pocket. All right. This is one of the best interviews I've ever had, by the way. My third question is, you have a daughter that is also a fantastic writer. When she was my age, I am currently nine years old. And when she was writing an English paragraph, did you correct her work with a red pen and make her do it again and again like Coach Hub did? <laughs> you know, I, I did not. I um, I would maybe try to be helpful, make some suggestions, but she was really talented. And you know what? What's really interesting, Alexandra? Her yeah. name is Alexandra, though she goes by Alex. She loves <laughs> to be called Alex, but, and so her, her byline, she writes for a, a, a terrific sports website called The Athletic, and she actually has a big story coming up that I'm not allowed to divulge uh, the uh, the contents of because it's a top level secret. So um, so maybe when you see it, I think for a lot of people who who um, who read it, it'll 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 come as something of an epiphany to them actually. Mm -hmm. But um, but Alex, my daughter, who I refuse to call by the name she prefers was was really gifted from a young age so i would i would try i would just try to encourage her to write and you know writing is the no matter how long you do it you get you just you you if if you work hard at it you keep getting better it's hard you know i i i used i teach writing classes sometimes and i tell people if if you think whether you're nine years old or, or 49 or 89 like my brother in venice they um if you if you think that writing is hard, you're right because it is. It's hard work, and to this day, if I see a blank screen in front of me, a blank computer screen with no words on it, like I think, oh my gosh, what am I going to write? I have no idea. Maybe I'm going to run out of words, but but you just sort of sit with it, and then and that's what that's sort of what I learned to do, and I just try to encourage my uh, my daughter to to do her best, you know, and to pursue her passion. And we did that with all our kids. And now she's she's writing. She's so much better than I was at her age. It's not even close. <laughs> it's funny because when I play softball and all these sports, all my coaches call me Alex. And they, every time on my jersey, is just Alex. That is not my full name. Do you like being Alex? Uh, sometimes. Uh, most of my times they call me Alexandra, but... I always have to correct them as Alexandria, so they always call me Alex. So I'm fine with it. That's good to be. My fun. dad hates it. He hates what? Alex. He hates when people call me Alex. Yeah, see, I'm the same way. It must be a father thing, because you you have a beautiful name, and I just like Alexandra. Now, here's another fancy word for you, um, Alexandra. You know the word etymo um, etymology. That's nope. the that's the study of words. And so the etymological roots of Alexandria or Alexandra, it means helper of mankind. How can you do better than that? Your name means that you help people. Wow. So 
And if I ever get to meet you, I'm going to make sure that just because I want to stay on your father's good side in case he wants to run some fajitas by me, I'm going to call you Alexandria. <laughs> oh, um, I, I, I sometimes go with the A train because I've seen her play ball and she, oh. doesn't, mess she doesn't mess around. Uh -huh. um, Alexandria, uh, do you um, have another question? Because I have to do the rapid fire questions with them. So you got one more? Yep. You do? Take mm -hmm. it away, A-Town. Would you rather be at the 1969 World Series game with the Miracle Mets or be at the Miracle on Ice game? Well, I, I was in real life at once, so I would have to say I'd love to I'd love to be at the Miracle on Ice game and hear feel that arena like you know throbbing with excitement on a snowy night in Lake Placid. And it's the greatest sports moment of the 20th century. So and it's it was a night for dreamers because the the impossible happened that night. So and it'll never happen again. It will never ever happen again. So that's uh, that's pretty darn magical. Thanks for watching and listening. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is produced by Christine Jinbo and me, Marley Rice. Directed by Chris M. Alport with studio support from Alpha Command Unit and shot by bad boy Bobby McCall. Original music courtesy of Lennon Music Production and original images courtesy of Sienna Lennon Photography. A big thank you to all of our contributors. Sports Stories with Denny Lennon is a production of Sports Stories, Inc. You can find us on audio platforms everywhere and the High School Narrative iOS app. You can also view Denny's shows on Roku, Apple TV, and Fire TV. Make sure to press that subscribe button, give us a review, leave a comment. It will really help us grow the show. Hey, you know what else would help us grow the show? Hustle on over to patreon.com slash Denny Lennon to get some never-before-seen videos, pictures, interviews, and more. We are all over social media and constantly sending out clips on Facebook, conducting fun polls on Twitter, going live on Instagram, and more. To find all our social media links, hustle on over to sportstoriesdl.com. SSDL proudly supports the My Stuff Bags Foundation and the Heroes Movement. The My Stuff Bags Foundation, with the help of thousands of people across the country, provides children in unfortunate situations with new belongings and new hope through its innovative My Stuff Bags program. Heroes Movement is a nonprofit that bridges the gap from therapy to getting strong again through small group workouts for any veteran of the United States Armed Forces for free. Links to how you can support and help these foundations can be found on our website. We want to give a big thank you to our partners of the show. So, as Coach Lennon would say, any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email me, Marley, at info at sportsstoriespodcast.com. Sports Stories thanks all of our followers and listeners. And we will, we will see, see you, you next time. time. Hey, thanks, Marley. Thanks, Chris. Wild thing, I think I love you. But I want to know for sure. Go watch Sports Stories with Danny Lennon. Kick it out, book. <laughs>